In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today, 9th of January, we celebrate the feast of the baptism of the Lord, the last feast of Christmas time, which marks the beginning of Jesus' public life. And also, it's the anniversary of the birthday of Saint Josemaria in 1902 in Barbastro in Spain. And I thought to, to start off uh, our prayer, we could think about the ways that St. Josemaria spoke about the sacrament of baptism, his own baptism and baptism in general. Um, he used to say how grateful he was for all the hidden uh, benefits which he had received from his parents, so many different sacrifices and cares that they'd had for him, which he didn't even know about when he was so young and even afterwards. And he sort of paralleled that with the care and the concern and the gifts which God uh, showers on the soul of the recently baptized, even though they haven't reached the use of reason. God is already uh, filling their hearts and souls with his gifts, with the Holy Spirit. And he summed it up by saying that, in a sense, God takes possession of that soul in a special way, or the Holy Spirit takes possession of that soul and begins to work and be active within it. And you could sort of say that the spirit of Opus Dei was uh, a way of unpacking the baptismal invocation to holiness of, of every uh, Christian. And uh, it sort of shows the, the potential and the, uh, the great vocation which every Christian has from their very baptism. St. Paul, Pope Paul VI, used to say that um, the whole purpose, obviously it's a generalization in a way, but that one of the big aims and purposes of uh, the Second Vatican Council, which he was the, the Pope of uh, the last few years anyway, he, he didn't uh, declare it, but uh, he took it over from uh, Saint John the Saint Pope John the Twenty Third, um, and he 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 said that the, the the great purpose of the council was simply to awaken in souls a, uh, an awareness of their the greatness 
of their baptism. That they don't need any other sacrament or any other uh, addition that could actually add anything to the great dignity that every Christian has as a baptised member of the church. He or she becomes a son or daughter of God, a member of the church. All their, their sins forgiven, be it original sin or actual sins afterwards, every soul has become filled with the grace of God and becomes part of the, the divine family in, in a way and part of the, the family of the church too. And he hoped that the one this would be one of the fruits of the council, that people would become just more conscious of their great dignity uh, um, as baptised members of the church. And it's, it's ironic in a way uh, that it was just after those two um, saints had, you know, stressed the the importance of baptism and had it, you know, the, the council had really brought it to the fore, that in the, the 60s and 70s there, there grew a sort of a, a custom of kind of delaying the baptism of, uh, of young children. And, and St. Jose Maria was certainly very disappointed by that, and I imagine St. Paul VI as well, given their, you know, how much importance they gave to it. And certainly looking at St. Jose Maria's response to that uh, in, in the 70s, in different get-togethers, he would discuss this. He would feel that it, that it was a, a missed opportunity. So many uh, graces, virtues, gifts, which the Holy Spirit uh, works within a soul and, and, and gives to a soul, all of that is kind of being is being missed or being at least delayed. Uh, so um, it was it was a slight sort of disappointment uh, to him, and he certainly encouraged people to have their children baptized as, as soon as possible because that way God would be able to take possession of of their of the soul and act within it and, and bring that great sense of uh, Christian destiny even to a child who has not yet begun to have the use of reason. Uh, they're already being filled with uh, wonderful uh, graces and gifts which will eventually blossom out when they're, uh, when they're able to, um, to live their Christian life more consciously. So he thanked God for in his own life for all those gifts, the natural gifts, the natural care and concern of his parents, and the supernatural uh, input that God, that the Holy Spirit had in his soul uh, in those years, even before he was aware of it. Um, he was very much, he spoke a lot about his, his family and um, just the vicissitudes that, um, that they had in a, an era of great um, infant mortality, three of his, uh, his sisters uh, died in quick succession. And um, they also suffered um, almost total ruin. They had to move from Barbastro to, to Logroño. His, his father's business uh, was ruined and he went to Logroño to make a fresh start as an employee 
in a similar business. Uh, so it was a tough, tough time. They, they had t rough difficulties, but it didn't seem to take away from the, the, the joy and the happiness that he felt within his family and the, the, the love uh, that his parents had for him and vice versa and the way that he, uh, he would speak about them with such with great affection and fondness afterwards. So, um, and he was sometimes asked, you know, he was very good at giving advice to, you know, very real and, and down-to-earth advice to um, parents and children, you know, in the family kind of scenario. And sometimes people would ask him, you know, you don't have a family. How, how you know, as a priest, how can you give such down-to-earth advice? And he would simply reply that, well, he, you know, he'd grown up in a family and he'd seen all these things uh, these situations and so he was obviously a person who reflected on them we could say and he nothing thing, things really kind of hit home for him and he understood and reflected and was able to draw conclusions and therefore gave very good advice on all kinds of family scenarios and situations he, he used to often mention and it's kind of relevant this time of the year that well you know while we do try to imitate Christ in all the stages of his life, that he wanted to help people to, to see the hidden life of Jesus, which we've been celebrating uh, in um, the liturgy these days around Christmas time and uh, the Epiphany, etc., where we think about these different mysteries of our Lord's uh, hidden life before the baptism of the Lord. Uh, his family life, finding in the temple, uh, and so on, and when we what we can surmise about him being the, you know, wor working in the carpenter's shop, learning his trade from Saint Joseph. Then there is an area where every Christian really can can imitate Jesus in the life of work and uh, family life, which um, all of us really live out in one way or in another. Um, so even if today we're coming to the end of that period and we celebrate our Lord's baptism, which is kind of launching forth into his being the Messiah, into his public life of preaching and working miracles and so on, uh, saving mankind, uh, still we can look back and we can think of how what we have learned over Christmas from uh, the Holy Family and apply it in, in, our, in our own lives. There's an interesting um, little series of phrases in the preface of the Mass for pastors, which uh, would be celebrated on St. Josemaria's feast day on the 26th of June every year. Uh, the, the preface, obviously, as all the prefaces do, addresses uh, God the Father apropos of the saint in question and it suggests that the saint that the god through that saint is achieving three things you strengthen her you strengthen the church by the example of his holy life you teach her by his words of preaching and finally you keep her safe keep the church uh, safe in answer to his uh, prayers. So there are the, the three uh, aspects of the life of a um, 
a saint, a pastor. Saint Josemaria would have been a, was a priest, so obviously he would fit into that category of saint, pastors. Um, so I was thinking that in this meditation we could just look at those three dimensions of what God is doing for us, for the Church, through this particular saint, through Saint Josemaria. And the first one is just this, you, you strengthen her by the example of his holy life. Holiness. What, what is a holy life, we, we might ask. Um, the church in deciding to canonize uh, a candidate one of the things that she looks for is precisely this, uh, a holy life. Because otherwise, well, we're talking about being a saint, being a holy person. And in order to work out whether the person did live a holy life or not, the church goes to, it looks at it in uh, in, in parts, it divides the person's life into a whole series of the basic virtues, faith, hope and charity, um, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, and all the many other virtues which kind of come out from those central theological and cardinal virtues. Aspects like joy and uh, courage, kindness, um, hard work, etc uh, etc et all the different uh, dimensions which you would expect a holy person to practice in some degree or another in fact the church would ask that the person would have practiced them to a heroic degree um, so heroic virtues it's called the decree of heroic virtues it's the first stage in the um, in the process and um, Pope Benedict, uh, as Cardinal Ratzinger, gave a homily about St. Josemaria and, and just reflected on that particular point uh, after his beatification in 1992. And he asked himself this idea of you know, heroic virtues that we consider that the, any saint or blessed has, has lived during their lives. Um, what does it exactly mean? Um, does it mean that they've been, you know, like a spiritual gymnast, somebody who's been really heroic and doing huge things, who've, who's developed his or her virtues to an extraordinary degree, etc.? At one level, it would seem that that's what it means. But Cardinal Ratzinger said, deep down, actually, it doesn't quite mean that. It means something more important. It means that in their lives, things happen which only God can do. That in their life, while you can look at different achievements and different things that they have done and mark them down as heroic, as good, as holy, as virtuous, but the overview of the whole thing would make you think God has been at work in this person's life. God has taken a hand in their existence and has made things happen in their lives. 
which obviously they have responded to and have uh, been happy to take on board and live out. But God's initiative really comes to the fore when you think about it, when you think about how they have lived their lives. Holiness is um, something which, without which, I suppose, we just couldn't imagine a person being close to God or being happy. And, um, and St. Jose Maria was obviously a very happy person, um, kind, easy to get on with, uh, very much a father to his spiritual children. Uh, somebody who spread peace uh, around them, around him. And I think that is a big part of what holiness is all about, that somehow this peace, which we hear it every day at Mass, my peace I give you. Jesus gives us peace, but not the peace that the world might give us, you know, or, you know, an easy life, but a deeper kind of peace, a peace which comes from being open to God and allowing God to work in our lives. And that's the kind of peace and joy which I think you could say that Saint Josemaria was able to transmit to people. All of the saints do it in one way or in another. And through their lives, God is able to touch souls and encourage them. So you strengthen the church. That's the going back to the, the phrase we've been uh, commenting on from the preface, you strengthen the church. The church is kind of inspired by this holiness because holiness is inspiring. It, it's something that would make you think, gosh, you know, I'd like to live like that myself. The saints always do give us that sense that they have this happiness and peace. That's what holiness seems to give rise to. And we all would like to live that way and to have that gift. That's the first of the three points which come from the preface of pastors. The second is you teach her by his words of preaching. All the saints in some way uh, teach the church uh, and pastors spend a lot of time preaching. So you can assume that any priest, deacon, priest or bishop who's ordained, who is uh, canonized as a, a saint or a blessed will have left that impact, words of preaching uh, to the church. And I'd just like to draw your attention to one of his, um, his writings, which um, a letter which he wrote shortly after the end of the council, the Second Vatican Council, about dialogue. It was an idea that was very close to his heart, that, you know, we need to converse, be in dialogue with people if we want to help them, because people need to be understood, and they need to understand. Um, we need to be understood, and we also need to understand uh, those around us. Uh, it's a it's a dialogue. And the in Saint Josemaria's letter about this, 
um, taking the idea of dialogue, which was very fashionable in the 1960s, he felt that the great example of dialogue was Jesus Christ himself. At one level, because clearly he was so open to speaking to everybody, he had time for people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the ordinary people, his own family. He had time for anyone who approached him. Nobody is sent away, that he's too busy. Even the children, the apostles tried to send them away. But Jesus says, let them be, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like that, who are ready to be childlike. And he allowed the children to just to be all, all around him. He blessed them and obviously had a great, great time for them. So he was ready to, to talk, to listen, to ask, answer questions, to ask questions, to be um, just in constant conversation and dialogue with, with everybody. But also because Jesus is the word of God made flesh as we've become very conscious of over Christmas. The word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word of God, this one single word in which God says everything that he has to say to, to the world. Um, in Christ he has said everything. St. John of the Cross says that it would be very strange to be asking for, I don't know, more revelations or special um, insights into, into God when he has actually spoken his last and first and total word into the world in our human flesh. In Christ, we find everything that God uh, wants to say. And in a certain sense, he has nothing left to say once he has said Jesus Christ to us, once he has sent his son to be our saviour. Everything is there. Everything is to be found uh, in him. He is the door, that interesting way of describing himself that Jesus has. I am the door. He is the door that is always open. Um, maybe we have to push it a little bit uh, or pull it, but it's open. The door to heaven, the door to God, the door to happiness. We push the door, we pull the door, um, by praying, by asking, by just simply saying help or whatever we need to say at any given time. We're do we are pushing the door that's open for us and which needs that little push on our part for us to, to, to enter, uh, to, to get in to where, um, to travel uh, through the door. And the Holy Spirit helps us to to understand this, uh, to understand this, how the door is open, how we are sons and daughters of the Father. Because that's what Jesus wants you to tell us, that we are uh, with him. Um, we can treat God the Father as our Father. Um, Jesus doesn't talk about God in a theoretical kind of way in the Gospel. He's always talking about my Father and your Father. 
He wants us to see God uh, in, in that way. So the Holy Spirit, his role, uh, as St. Paul puts it very often, is to get us to say, Abba, Father. And when we, when we do say, Abba, Father, we're, we're kind of really making our baptism practical. We're now living out this theological fact that we are children of God, that we can treat him with that trust and dependence that children have towards their parents. So come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle in us the fire of your love and help us to treat God in that way. Help us to say Abba, Father, more often, because we always need to. We always need to live this way because that's our very identity. Saint Jose Maria would often say this, that somebody who doesn't realize that they're a son or daughter of God has missed out on their deepest identity and who they most profoundly are. So help me not to miss out on that. Help me to, to be uh, a child of God in all circumstances. When things are good, when we, when we have problems, when we're trying to solve something, or whatever may be going on around us, that we would approach that with a great sense of trust in God, who never leaves us alone in any situation or circumstance. And finally, the last part of the preface of Pastoral says that you keep her safe, you keep the church safe in answer to his prayers. And this is referring to the, the saint, whoever he, she, well, in the case of a pastor, uh, whoever he may be, interceding for us before God. And those of us who I feel like are inspired by his example, um, the impact that he's had through Opus Dei uh, all over the world, I suppose in a particular way we feel that he must intercede for us. We would ask him to intercede for us in a special kind of a way because, well, he knows uh, what, what we need. And uh, being in the presence of God, the, the saints are able to, um, you know, to entrust whatever our needs and wants are to, to God. Um, in a particular way, I suppose, he would be very keen that we would learn how to turn all the situations and all the events of our lives into opportunities of serving God, of finding God in them. And he can, he can help us to do that. Um, I remember somebody once telling me that um, he was working with um, St. Jose Maria in an office. And um, uh, at one stage, St. Jose Maria made the mistake of um, uh, tearing up a piece of paper, which was not to be torn up, which he actually needed. So he tore it up really carefully into very small bits and so we had to put it all, throw it all in the t out of the waste paper basket onto the table and start reassembling the, the page so laboriously and painstakingly until we had the whole thing uh, finished. So 
things like that. I mean, you don't always get things right, uh, but sometimes by making mistakes and maybe putting them right, uh, you can also find God. I suppose he did find God in even in making that mistake and putting it right. In The Furrow, one of his books, he, he says, he quotes a, a letter from a friend um, who, who says, uh, you won't laugh, Father, will you, if I tell you that a few days ago I found myself spontaneously offering the Lord the sacrifice of time it meant for me to mend a broken toy for one of my little children. And he resp responds, sort of in, in, uh, in, his, in his own, in the book, No, I'm not laughing. I am delighted because with that same love, God sets about mending our defects. So he sort of saw God's love in the in the affection and love of that father who was uh, mending a broken a broken toy for one of his kids. Um, so it's kind of makes it it makes it real. So going back to where we started, the baptism of the Lord and um, our own baptism. I suppose we could take a leaf out of uh, Saint Josemaria's book in this and thank God for all the graces that we have received, that we take for granted, uh, all the virtues, all the insights, all the inspirations which by the Holy Spirit's presence in our soul we have received, and um, ask with Our Lady's help that we would be able to put those inspirations, those graces into practice during this year, which is now beginning. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.